podcasts, mm. things that were, I guess, considered to be more on the fringe or yeah. more extracurricular are, are obtaining much more validity That's right. with, within the academic environment now. Well, hello, you're back at the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skrupski, your host here at Hopkins, and I'm looking at Dr. Erica Brown. Hi, Erica. Hi, Kim. It's a pleasure to, to quote unquote, see you again. Yes, it is. And in the gorgeous background, we're gonna, you're going to learn all about where Erica is now and where she was. And yes, uh, Dr. Brown is one that we're on the reunion tour, a frequent flyer to the Faculty Factory Podcast, because back in March 2019, Three years ago, Erica came as the to talk with us as the Associate Dean for Faculty Affairs and Development at Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta. And that is a really great conversation if you're new to an office of faculty development, to faculty affairs, or you're new to academic medicine and you want to understand what the field of faculty affairs and development does, because Erica spelled out a wonderful program there at Morehouse looking at, gosh, it was executive onboarding, which was a fascinating description of the orientation and mentorship around leaders at the department level, uh, department chair sessions, all the chairs would have chair sessions and luncheons and junior faculty workshops and luncheons and committees and a really kind of a nice wraparound comprehensive service from early career all the way through leadership. So she did a uh, really kind of a nice full out description of this, of our field. And now Dr. Brown is in a new position. And, I, and again, I'm, I'm just admiring the gorgeous background she has. Too bad you can't see it. Dr. Brown, tell everybody where you are now. Okay. Well, I am now at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth, and I am the current or the new, newly appointed Dean of Faculty Affairs. Dean of Faculty Affairs. So moving on up, and I love it. I love stories when um, of just accomplishments, more opportunities, leadership opportunities, and seeing peers and colleagues and friends um, tackle new positions and be recognized for their service. So congratulations. Erica and I met, we're just reflecting, I was, gosh, almost 10 years ago, through the AAMC, the Association of American Medical Colleges Group on Faculty Affairs. So another reason to be involved and get actively engaged in your professional societies, because Erica and I have been kind of rubbing shoulders for mm -hmm. years now, sitting, sitting at tables and talking about issues and learning from each other and encouraging each other. So I'm so proud of Dr. Erica Brown, the Dean um, at Dartmouth. So Share with us what over the past three years have you learned about the faculty and academic medicine and a pandemic and all these things? What can you impart to us as both faculty members and as leaders? Well, the first thing is uh, the, the, the benefits of Zoom. I think we have learned that through the pandemic. And, and the irony of this is with my faculty development seminar series, I really wanted to record those sessions so that they would be available for faculty to see them if they weren't able to you know, participate in person. This was um, pre-pandemic, but we had um, speakers and presenters who were video averse. 
they they really did not want to be recorded nor did they want it to go into some repository i guess for you know for posterity down the road but with the, the pandemic and having to switch to virtual modes this forced everybody to have to get out of their comfort zone and learn to embrace and appreciate being um, video recorded. So with that, we saw an increase in the participation and viewership of our professional and faculty development offerings. And we were able to build a repository of uh, venues, internal venues from that. So that that's definitely one thing that has changed over the past three years. So having to felt like pulling teeth to get people to do something that inevitably they had no choice but to do. You know, Erica, you're making me think, of course, as this always happens during these podcasts and reflect on that experience, because I, too, uh, as you know, I'm an extrovert and I have I love being in, in with people and in front of people and I get so much energy and I love the just the energy in the room. And I too, when Zoom first started, did not appreciate it because of number one technology. I'm kind of a Luddite. I'm not into technology and I get I get nervous when things stop or are glitchy. But did you observe this as, as did I, that in the beginning, because I'm thinking of when you said people didn't like to be recorded and didn't want to have that kind of pressure of you're going to be recorded. So like you're yeah. on and everything has to be polished. And yeah. prior, yeah. To, prior to Zoom, prior to COVID, mm-hmm. at least my experience or perception of anything recorded was like on YouTube. And they were kind of fan or TED Talks. Exactly. Fancy yeah. and polished and produced yeah. and rehearsed. And I thought that sounds like so much work. And my experience has been that now I'm into, you know, we're into two plus years of this. And everything is so much more casual oh my goodness, and there are yes. dogs barking and there are kids crying and their doors yes. ringing and everybody's like, whatever. And people yeah. are in their hoodies and their scrubs and that kind that pressure of being recorded and having to look like you're on the Oprah show is we're gone. We're done with that. Is that, am I the only, do you also have that kind of perception that, that the, the walls coming down in terms of formality has increased our or I guess decrease the reluctance or kind of put that aside that people are more comfortable. Is that right? Or is that just my, I I absolutely agree. And I I think that was one of the main reasons for the apprehension of of people um, being video recorded before. And now I think people are realizing you can be just as comfortable in front of the, you know, the little camera on your, your laptop or whatever, your device on a Zoom presentation as you were when you were giving a more didactic classroom setting presentation. And that's something I've definitely appreciated. I was um, viewing, uh, we had a a speaker about maybe a week or two ago and the the speaker was giving their presentation in the evening. So I think it was from maybe six to 7.30. So everyone had an opportunity to go home, change clothes. And it was so um, like, comforting to see people in their sweats, you know, no makeup. And we're just, we're just, you know, just collab, collaborating and interacting in this very casual environment via Zoom. And the the goal isn't for us to, you know, to, to look as if we're newscasters, but we're just focused on this, this, this presenter. Yeah. And that's what I, I like from this. The focus has gone more towards the content 
Yes. Not necessarily the the presentation, but the content, the meat of whatever is being presented. Oh, thank you, Erica. You said it so well, much better than I was trying to think about it. And, And that's what I was trying to get at, that maybe another benefit of Zoom in this whole um, era has been um, not so consumed with appearances and the surfaces of looking at someone's shoes and their their hair, rather what is in the head, what's between, because that's what we want. Exactly. So we're, and I'm sure there's some people out there going, but it's still a very important that you have to, yes, yes, yes. We're not saying that you can be a schlump and have the face showing and your your face while you're teaching. Certainly not. But I do, I I like the way you said that it's the comfort level to me has gone up and the casual nature of we're all just people. We're all exactly. We all have lives. We are fully evolved, challenged people with very three dimensional lives at home. And and who cares, you know, what, what you look like. So I, I thank you for saying that much better than I did. What so what else other than you know the the zoom and the technology did you um experience or observe, Erica? Well I know and and I know we, we talked about this um via the GFA as far as how the pandemic was affecting promotions and appointments mm. and tenure and there were institutions. Now, now when I was at Morehouse, uh, we didn't have tenure. You know, Geisel does have tenure. But um, for those institutions that did have tenure, approaching stopping the clock, you know, giving individuals an, an additional year to get their tenure packets together. And one of the things that I noticed at, when I was at Morehouse um, School of Medicine was that I think we've had actually an increase in promotions because people had time to actually get their promotion packets together. They had time to actually speak in more detail with their, was it may have been their department chair or whoever their other mentors or sponsors were to help them um, assemble a, a solid body of work. So I saw that happening and we, we, we saw how the last three years that, how appointments and promotions and tenure changed and how it varied from institution to institution. Mm. We're also seeing um, a a difference in the focus of promotion criteria. Uh, Through the pandemic, we saw people contributing to the missions of their institutions and academic medical centers in new ways Mm. and the scholarly productivity that was generated as a result of the the pandemic and the, um, the very interesting funding grant opportunities. So we saw basically a whole new genre oh. um, of, of faculty affairs and professional development criteria emanate from this. Oh my gosh. Now I, I need to sit and think about that for a second because I, I love that you raised that profile of a new genre, a new way of thinking, a new way of contributing. And mm-hmm. are you talking about things like, and I'm part of you know, my own shoes here at Hopkins is we had a body of faculty members who seemed to be in the, our insider news, emails, announcements all the time. Like they were in the community. They were heavily steeped in the community around COVID vaccinations and boosters and education around mm-hmm. epidemiology and, um, and our surrounding urban communities here near mm-hmm. the hospital. Is that the kind of new genre of, doing science in community, 
Yeah, you're not. Yeah, that, exactly. That that's one one version of it, and a very very strong example. And the other is um, an a, an appreciation for things like what we're doing now becoming acceptable forms of scholarship. Mm, you're talking about like social media and social media podcasts, mm. things that were, I guess, considered to be more on the fringe or yeah. more extracurricular are, are obtaining much more validity. That's right. With, within the academic environment now. Right. So that, that's another really good point that um, I think for, for a long time, it, it's the old traditional, you know, measuring productivity by the peer reviewed publications. Exactly. Period. That's it. Hard mm-hmm. stop. And like, well, wait yep. a minute. Yep. They're the this new generation, the new way of doing science and bringing science to life, mm-hmm. just by virtue of technology bringing us more tools, allows us to disseminate our science more broadly exactly if and quickly. Exactly. So, so on both fronts, the the um, the, the 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 research that is emanated out of this, the the clinical focus or foci that of that have developed, as well as how all of this is being disseminated. Right, right. And isn't it the first thing you start you started on this topic of promotion and appointments and tenure got me mad because it made me think. You you know you said rightly so, and and a lot of us experienced this that when the pandemic happened and a lot of us were quarantined there was a certain segment of the population of our faculty members who could or were forced to stay home mm-hmm. and others you know, were, of course, uh, in the hospital front lines. And it just kind of makes me mad to think that what, we need a pandemic for our faculty to have time to put their doctor Exactly. In? Isn't that absurd? Exactly, exactly. That, it's so, you're, you're so right, Erica, mm-hmm. and yet it really, I have a hard time with that. Oh, isn't it great? Every once in a while, we just need a good old pandemic so that we can stay home and get some work done. Isn't it ridiculous that because it is a part-time job? I mean, when faculty come to me, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. hello. I'm just two hot years off of my being promoted to professor. And it yeah. was a part-time job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Saturdays and Sunday afternoons, uh-huh. I was working on my dossier. Exactly. And unfortunately, I don't have a husband. I don't have children. Exactly. I have same here. I have the luxury of doing that. What about all our faculty members who have partners exactly. and children and had a life and caring for older parents? And we expect them to somehow find the hours in the day and the week and the month for another part-time job to format their CV, get their materials together, get their letters, find their recommended. Uh, it, it, it makes me just bonkers. <laughs> it makes me bonkers that we'll say, well, give it another 10 years. We should have another pandemic and then you'll be able to get your materials together. <laughs> <laughs> absurdity yeah i don't think anyone's going to stop the clock that long unfortunately <laughs> we don't have a clock oh so we don't have a clock so there's no up and out we have what's called a seven-year appointment review that a lot of faculty go oh my gosh kim i got a seven-year appointment appointment review oh what's that what's that i'm like oh no that's good the seven-year appointment review is sent to faculty who do not go from assistant to associate professor or associate and it's matter, a matter of saying, oh, my gosh, hey, Kim Skrupski, we noticed that you've been at rank for this is now year eight. How you doing? This is just going to make sure you're OK. Mm-hmm. Are you on track? to do yeah, it? Yeah. Are you good where you're we don't want to 
um, have anyone fall through the cracks. So it's an opportunity for them. It's our advocating, hey, we see you. Are you good? Versus, you know, it's been a kind of a culture change and make sure, no, we're not, you're not going to get yelled at. You're not getting called into the principal's office like TikTok, you're out the door. So we don't have that at Hopkins. Wow, that alleviates a lot of stress. Right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I don't know, I'll be curious to see since you've been at Dartmouth, what, just a, a minute or so, three months, you know, <laughs> yeah. how, how you how you learn how things are different there or same, you know, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see the experiences there. And I can't imagine coming to a new position, especially a higher level position in the pandemic. Uh, it's ex- exciting and yet daunting because I just imagine the fatigue of faculty just being so fatigued and just so tired. And then it's so your job to you know help spark those like you know excitement and breathing life into know, like you got this you got this you're good we're gonna get it. we're gonna do it yeah and and the good thing is well we had been in the pandemic for gosh how long then about maybe about a year and a half at that point so so it's not as if I was starting a new job at the beginning of the pandemic which would have been very very difficult. So, you know, we, we all had an opportunity to become acclimated to working under these conditions. And that, so that's number one. And then number two, there was a lot of excitement about the, um, the transition because the, the um, previous um, um, or my predecessor had done an excellent job and she felt that it was time to pass the torch. And she has been a, a, a wonderful advocate for me in this role. So um, the way that she transitioned out she also helped to provide a lot of excitement for whoever the new person was to step in. Oh, that's, that's an important lesson there, Erica. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're, you were not inheriting a mess. You were not inheriting a big hole in the ground. Like you got to build it, you know, like our colleague, we're talking about Maureen Connolly. She had to build something from, from nothing. And that, that is, you know, like building a new, a brand new, not even a house, a mansion. I don't know how you even begin that, but that is a blessing to, to work with someone who, who has done a good job and is, there are no sour grapes. There's nothing, you know, drama leaving, but also then supports you. So that's, that sounds like a, a beautiful uh, marriage there. So very good. What else is going on or what else did you want to share with the Faculty Factory podcast? Dr. Adaga Dean of Faculty at Well, one of the things I think we are seeing, which has really, really helped this, this environment that we're in, and this is more on the academic side, but it, it does um, merge with professional development, is seeing a, a rise in the um, number of online courses that's been created. Mm. And, and I think that, you know, because that, that has been helpful for the non-traditional student, for the commuter student. But what it has um, also done is it, it really contributed towards the, the flipped classroom model mm. that we've started seeing. And I think by having all of that happen before the pandemic, it really prepped a lot of schools, especially ours, when we had to make this, this transition of everything going virtual and, and including professional development. Right. Now, do you do you have a, any murmurings or what are you hearing from boots on the ground? Like, ah, I can't wait to get back into the classroom and sit next to human beings or and 
no, I really like to click in the miles. It's much more convenient for me. I don't have to get in my car. I don't have to drive to another building. I don't have to walk to another building and figure out when I have to leave to run back to see patients <laughs> or get to the lab. What we, We're getting that all the time here at Hopkins. Like, when are we going back? When are we going back? And then equal amount of people, maybe an equal going, will they be hybrid? And then, I'm, and then I, Kim Skrupski, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I can't imagine being in an auditorium doing a Myers-Briggs with you know, breakout Ugh. groups in an auditorium oh and breakout yeah. groups in a, in, in a Zoom and mm-hmm. monitoring a chat and yeah. being yeah. raised. And I can't hear you. What'd they say? What did she say? <laughs> the Zoom is going out. Is that, I mean, I think I will you know, jam my head into the wall and that's it. Game over, man. I, I don't know how I'll be able to do that. So what do you, what do you think is going to happen? What I'm seeing is people want the best of both worlds. I know. They want to have the option to meet in person and teach in person and, and you know, congregate in person. But then they also would like to have maybe two um, remote work days where they can work virtually or work from their homes without any interruptions. So that, that's what I'm seeing. And especially with new recruits that they are they are really incorporating that in their negotiation packages oh, really? that they can have a hybrid work model. Really? So I think even after the pandemic, this virtual modality, it, it's not leaving. Hmm. I, I think it's here to stay in, in some format. Wow. Erica, mm-hmm. you're the first person I've heard mention that at the negotiating table. That is, oh, yeah. that's, I mean, I've heard it with staff um, I've shared in the podcast before, like we had a whole bunch of staff who were going to be recruited to a, one of our institutions down, down the street here in Baltimore. And everybody's like, wait a minute, they can't all go. And one of the biggest things was, first of all, they're going to pay them more. But secondly, they're going to let them stay at home. And it was last summer when there was that we kind of had a return to work mandate when we thought it was the whole thing was going to blow over. And yeah, so we yeah thinking they had to come back in. And then by then you're right. This, this whole staff and the research group are like, no, we're good. Why do I have to go? What's it? Why can't I stay at home in front of my computer? Why do I have to go to my work in front of my computer and drive and gas and dressing and lunch and parking and safety and, 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 and when I can just be home. So it was a, it was a kind of a, a wake up call for us to go, whoopsie. Yeah. Let's get, let's keep, we have to have core staff here. So I've heard these conversations with staff. But you're the first person, Erica, who's talked about it's this, it's this in, in your face, a culture change where faculty are now saying, no, nah, here's a deal. And telehealth, you think about now with telemedicine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. People who are mm-hmm. like, if they're seeing patients online, why do you think mm-hmm. the difference if I'm seeing patients online in my office or in my office at home? What's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, it depends on what the what the the um, discipline or the specialty is and what we've we've seen with our researchers or our foundational faculty is in a wet lab, of course, they're going to need to come in physically, but in a dry lab setting, uh, the, the desire is to work remotely, heavily remotely. Yeah. And of course, the implications of that are on space and, you know, buildings and mm-hmm. all the, all the, you know, coordinated, collaborating infrastructure, exactly. Right? The housekeeping and food service and yep. maintenance and utilities. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just, I can't imagine the people who are trying to reconfigure. I, it it kind of cracks me up. I think right before the pandemic, 
And like in many institutions, everybody's scrapping for space. Like the room, the room <laughs> like, oh my gosh, did you hear Erica Brown's offices? They're going to get up and they're going to move down to the harbor. Like what? And then people start running down to the, trying to like lay, lay claim to that office space because space is so uh, precious. And now yeah. I'm kind of curious. I'd love to be in the walls of the rooms of people that sit thinking, we had about 5,000 people fighting for, you know, 200 square foot of space. And now we can't find people. The lights are off on the buildings and nobody's coming in. It's just such a strange. Exactly. And, and, and I've been involved in some of those those discussions as well. Um, and more cases, since I'm relatively new, I'm more like a fly on the wall where I'm just, I'm listening. And it's, and, and, it, and it's almost like you have to do some form of projection. Like, okay, so when you know, presumably the pandemic is over, who will likely use this space? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, and with what frequency and can- Exactly. Because we've talked about like, the, what do they call them? Drop down, drop spaces, drop landing pad, landing, some kind of tech, whatever the word is, that the idea is that it's not a permanent workspace. It would be yeah. Kim's office, but it'd be like Kim slash Erica slash Jennifer slash, you know, Jose's office space that whoever is there that day plunks down and they observe the the pod. Mm -hmm. And since we're in faculty affairs, faculty development, you know, should we not still have a front facing the welcome concierge hotel person like, hello, welcome to the whatever hotel. We're so glad you're here. So we, we need that kind of, you know, pressing the flesh, you know, concierge approach as well. So it's it's a it's a it's going to be really interesting to see. I think over the next year or two, how we shift into a new normal and how we how our processes then have to change and uh, the way we do business because the faculty and staff, the employees, will be demanding certain changes. Oh yeah. How will oh, yeah. institutions and leadership respond to that? Yeah. 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 So it's got, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. Mm-hmm. What what else, Erica? What else can you share with us about the your life the past couple of years and faculty and hopes, fears, dreams, challenges? Well, of course, wellness has always been, you know, a top priority with faculty affairs, but it became front and center during the pandemic. Yeah. And there was this, this oh gosh, this this huge, this um, dynamic that was occurring where there's this greater emphasis on wellness, but then considering that we all are academic medical centers, there are greater stress, stressors on our frontline workers, hmm. on our um, instructional or educational faculty, and how can they best instruct our students given the different modalities or change in modality that was occurring. So what I I, I learned is, you know, as a, as a faculty affairs leader, wellness is front and center for us, but it's tricky because a lot of times you can't decrease the workload. So you have to infuse things such as um, what I call little exhales throughout the day. Mm. And, 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 and things that will help you shift your perspective. Mm. Uh, some of the things that we, we did during the pandemic was, um, I'd say the majority, if not all, practically all of our seminar series topics and workshop topics were very cerebral. And we had about two, that, um, two topics we infused that had nothing to do with 
you know, the usuals, the research, the teaching, the clinical. This, we had a, a session that focused on the arts mm-hmm. where um, we had uh, um, one of my um, colleagues from former health school of medicine. Her, her brother is um, a Broadway performer. He donated a performance yeah. to this particular session. We had, a, I have a good friend who is um, a renowned jazz artist. She donated a performance. We had faculty write poems and recite them and share them. And we had faculty who, um, who are artists in their spare time. And they um, use their art as backdrops during that session. And throughout the session, um, we would allow the music, the, the, the poetry to set the tone for, um, and it wasn't just faculty, we opened it to everyone, but for all the participants to, to vent you know, what feelings did the poetry evoke that aligned with or were a consequence of the pandemic? Oh, yeah. so it was. It, I, lo- I, I love that. That is so that just makes me feel so warm inside. And that, this is so I know. Oh, here we go. Woo woo. That's part of who we are. That is the fullness. And that kind of circles back to what you were saying earlier about Zoom and the casual nature of seeing people as a as a people. Exactly. Depth and life and emotions and feelings and memories and stories and and bringing that in. How could that Mm -hmm. hurt? It's got to bring greater depth and building community. It did. Like you said it did. that neuroscientist next to you or the cardiac cath lab specialist next to you. Oh my gosh. Also does poetry. Mm-hmm. You dance. I had no idea. I love to dance too. Oh, another way of connecting. I see you. You see me. I think that's beautiful. Why? I, I mean, we, we've, we've seen some things like this, right? But why don't we do more of this? And I'm guessing now I'm playing devil's advocate with myself. All right. Why don't we do more of this, Erica? Maybe because people would say, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that kind of good for you. That's nice. But I am R01s, papers, patients, closing my encounters on Epic. I don't yeah, have time yeah. to listen to somebody read poetry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's number one, number one. And then number two, um, again, the, the pandemic has forced us outside of our comfort zone in many ways. And, and what I saw happening was there were people in the clinic, you know, who had the had the, the Zoom on. And even if they weren't in front of the camera, they were able to listen to what was happening. So I, I think once again, it, it is it in a strange way, the pandemic has allowed us to hone in on our our humanity. And, and to, to be more open. That's it, Erica. That's it. Yeah, you nailed it. That's it. The humanity. And what has humanity got to do with anything? Hello, everything. Yeah, yeah. Everything, yeah. the humanity. We have uh, Dr. Meg Chisholm here at Hopkins who does this really cool thing called visual thinking strategies. And that's, and that made me, when you said art, it made me think of this VTS, this visual thinking strategies uh, with Philip Anyway. I'm saying, his, I'm mispronouncing his name, but. Um, I'm looking because it's coming up next week. And what it is, is this experience where the, the session, and at first I thought this is off the wall, but it, the, you, they start showing art, like real art, and they, they show it and you're 
they're quiet. You take a moment to write your experiences. What, what do you feel? And there's no judgment. Everybody in the room goes around. Well, I thought about this. It made me think that it made me think that. And then it brings it back to like, why did you get into academic medicine? And it just kind of broadens your way of arriving anywhere, arriving in the patient encounter in the lab with your colleagues on a zoom call on your admin teams, it just kind of um, broadened my perspective. And that's Erica, what you're saying, like the humanity, when you think you don't have time to do these things, uh, sometimes like you need to make time for things. Exactly. Exactly. That little exhales that you said so nicely. It's sometimes that's all you need, right? Sometimes when you yeah. think, ah, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Well, come yeah. to walk with me, Erica. And you'd be like, Kim, I just told you I'm busy. I'm like, go walk <laughs> with me for five minutes, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. What happens after at the four minute mark? You're like, oh, I get it. Oxygen, it's a thing. <laughs> I, I'm moving my body. I'm feeling better. <laughs> and I've seen that happen too, where people are actually having you know, informal meetings. I've seen mentors and mentees taking a walk together and they're, they're talking about, um, they're talking about uh, career development. Yeah. Just, just the motion. I've just not looked at, cause I want to make sure I get the name right. It's Philip and Enoween and Kamna Balhara visual thinking strategies. So check, that's a thing. It's apparently a thing. I never heard about it, but that gets to what Erica you're talking about, just infusing opportunities for the, the fullness of all of our experiences of, of just art and music and poetry and dance and mm-hmm. history and uh, craft sports, you know, whatever it is you do. We all try to, you know, do that when you build community or what are the commonalities? What do we share? What are we interested in reading and cooking and baking? And that those few moments of recognition of, Oh, I didn't know Eric was a dancer. I'd love to get taught, you know, talk that kind of that humanity. <laughs> does allow an exhale of like, all right, I'm talking to a human being here. You know, she may be the, you know, the Dean, she's still a human being. And he may be the world's famous and has 500 articles and, you know, are once his whole life. And he's still a human being. So that, that to me is what I, I love the way you, you've um, reminded us of the importance of not only just the usual content that we deliver of, of hammering home some of the basics, but all all the rest of it and finding a place for that and recognizing it. Thank you. Uh, we also had um, a meditation specialist oh. at our previous institution and he would, uh, through our office, we um, scheduled a 5 p.m. meditation moment that which was for about 15 minutes. 15 minutes meditation mm-hmm. at the end of the day. What a nice way to close out the day. Exactly, exactly. Now we know that our, our days generally go beyond five five p.m. Sure. But that was one of those, I guess, in this case, literally an exhale moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love the med. I'm I'm all a, I'm a tree person. Other than people and dogs, I love trees. Probably in that order. So I I love the the visual, and I can't remember where of the the man in this story who would come home every day and kind of put his hand on the tree that was in front of his home. Mm. And the wife or somebody said, "What? Why are you always like hugging on that tree? What's the deal?" <laughs> that's that's. I put all my cares on that tree. When I come home, it's like I'm giving it to the tree. I'm leaving it. That you're making me think of a mindfulness moment of purposely having a ritual of reminding you, okay, I'm leaving my cares with this beautiful tree. You guard them until the morning when I leave 
I will pick them up again, but I'm leaving my metaphorical bag at the root of this tree. Mm-hmm. And that is what I think is so beautiful about your little exhales and is re- the moments, the little moments here and there that we can take. Yeah. And they, they may not cost you. They may in fact fill your tank. It's kind Absolutely. of supplements and little vaccination booster shots throughout mm-hmm. the day. Like, okay, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. How many times I think when I'll be slammed with things and I'll, I'll look at my calendar, I'm like, ah, I got another meeting. Oh, that one or this person. I got really, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do <laughs> and like get all knickers in a knot. No, stompy, stompy. I hate this. I hate this. And then in a couple minutes of the meeting, I'm like, oh, well, this, I'm actually having fun. This isn't bad after all. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? The, the re- we always need the reminders. And that's the kind of, you know, the little kick in the pants. No, I know you're busy. It's, it's literally, is this like one of these sci-fi movies that the, the bomb's going to go off in five seconds that you got to diffuse it? If not, come walk with me around the block. It's going to be fine. I promise you. In fact, you're going to have greater clarity after a walk around the block and getting some air and mm-hmm. getting in touch with your humanity. Love it. And, and, and this was probably a new concept for people to see I guess aspects of wellness as part of professional development mm, mm. and and how we have to be really creative um, with wellness approaches, especially during the pandemic. But I, I think just wellness and wellness approaches in general, because unfortunately our workloads, they really aren't going to change. They aren't. Right. So there are two things that have been helpful for me. Um, one is, and anyone who knows me knows that I'm a big proponent of eating lunch. Mm-hmm. Even if you can only get 20 minutes, eat your lunch and try to eat it in peace. And if that means, you know, you, you put your, your headphones, your, your ear pods in and you listen to your favorite Pandora station, uh, you look at, I don't know, your favorite 20 minutes of your favorite reality show, read um, an excerpt from one of your, well, you know, a book that you're trying to read <laughs> and eat lunch. That for me is is so recharging. Like I said, even ideally we would like to get 60 minutes for lunch, but sometimes it's only 20. Sometimes it may be 15. But whatever that that amount of time is that you have, maximize it and enjoy it. So do you schedule that, Eric? You do you schedule your lunch? Is it literally oh, in no. the calendar? It, 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 I don't schedule it. I'm trying to do sometimes it's just honestly it's hard to do that. But I, you know, there are days I may not eat lunch until two. But I'm going to make sure that from 2 to 2.20, I can have a peaceful lunch. That is such a basic, common sense thing that none of us probably does. <laughs> that we're jamming a bar down our face, you know, as we're running down the street or we're running upstairs and yeah. throwing, sticking something in the microwave in a couple of minutes while we're running to the restroom, grabbing the microwave, bunk, mm-hmm. running back under the Zoom, but you, or skipping it all together and then being absolutely famished at the end of the day. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Such basic common sense that ain't so common. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My grandpa, common sense is not so common, Kimberly. And and the other thing is, this is something that um, a a therapist told um, a group of us. She was, we had uh, 
I can't remember what the event was, but it was something that was focused on women and, and women's wellness during the pandemic. And she said that it's okay to mourn the loss of a lifestyle. Because, you know, we've had individuals who have, you know, unfortunately, they've, they've lost family members. Mm. They've lost jobs. I mean, they, they've gone through severe losses. Mm. And you can understand just the, the turmoil that they're feeling. And then there are others that have not lost as much, but they, they don't have that level of satisfaction um, in their lives as they had before because they can't freely you know, go to their favorite restaurant. They can't freely go and visit their older relatives, things, you know, things of that nature. Mm. And so a lot of us, I myself included, we were feeling guilt Mm. that, that we were, you know, just, uh, I guess, um, lamenting the things that we had lost that were, that were in nowhere near the magnitude of what we've seen others lose. And what she said for me was freeing because she said, well, that, that is a loss. It may not be on the magnitude of other losses, but it is a loss of a lifestyle and it's okay to mourn that. That is so profound. And what great permission to alleviate that guilt of feeling like a complete idiot when you go, yeah. oh, my pizza shop, there's one, one, <laughs> I can't sit in there and get my favorite martini. Oh. And, yeah. and you think, did I just, did that just come out of my head? Yeah, they, yeah. Did I just say that to the person who's sitting across from me, whose dad just got out of the hospital um, and who's, you know, fill in the blank, whose child just had to, wasn't in school for nine months. Yeah. 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 Wait, did I just say, did I, am I whining about pizza? Am I whining about, I have to wear a mask when I go to my gym to exercise? Really? But you're, and I would, and I'd feel so much of that um, guilt, but you're yeah. right. What it's, it is a loss of a lifestyle. It is okay that that is, it's our reality. We have different levels of reality and our, everybody has different. Um, yeah. I mean, and so it's no, it's no, yeah, that, that's the paradox to me. Yeah. Nobody died, you know, for some people like nobody died, snap out of it. What's your problem? Get over it. That's too simplistic to say and guilting someone into saying, yeah, you're right. I really have no right complaining about I've got a great job I'm a faculty member mm-hmm. at Dartmouth you know what what what's my problem I need to snap out of it yes and no no this yes. is this could be your career yeah you were coming to Dartmouth and you're gonna have a great career and build this lab and now your lab shut down yeah yeah oh, exactly okay. yeah this yeah. is appropriate that you go yeah. oh my gosh where's yeah. my life or these co- kids who just graduated high school or college and the world shut down yeah yeah you're alive and your family's alive and also your uncertainty is, is real mm-hmm, mm-hmm, fear mm-hmm, of the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love, it's just, again, another one seems so obvious, but it's not so obvious because a lot of us think, no, this is, I feel like an idiot for complaining about this. No, because yeah, as part of the part of wellness too, from, from what I've seen is for, for people to expect themselves to function at the same level during the pandemic as they did before. And for being, um, really hard on themselves for 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 um, for for feeling stressed, mm. for feeling um, that they're not um, capable or competent under these conditions, mm. and they have they have to. We all have to be reminded it's it's a different playing field now. 
you know? Yes. Yes. How reassuring that is really reassuring. That's a great message. It's okay to mourn the loss of a lifestyle that is so reassuring to us. And that's, we're all creating new lifestyles, new, we're building new playing fields and we're, yeah, we're going to do it. And we're going to do it by making sure minimally we eat lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, like I said, at a minimum. Yeah. Try to, try to get that, that 20 minutes in. I'm telling you, it makes, it makes a huge difference. You're, you're nourishing your body and you're also probably nourishing your, your spirit. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and these, these are habits that have to be, I mean, that's sustainable. So to me, mm-hmm. when we talk about building healthy career habits and James Clear's The Atomic Habits, this little book, we've started this stuff, you know, built on the WAGS concept, the Ready Accountability Groups and building good habits. It's so important that these things that you think, well, it's common sense, of course, gut, duh, eat, drink water, go to the bathroom. But a lot of faculty will tell you, oh my gosh, I haven't gone to the restroom all day. I've been meaning to go. That's not good for you. No, it's I, not. I, I, I <laughs> you i don't sleep it's not good for you not good for you building these habits that will then sustain you through the long haul and during times of upheaval and and promotion nonsense and turmoil and leadership changes Mm -hmm. you, you will be on that ship you will be bumping along but you may be more resilient because you've built all the bumps are on a solar, a sturdier foundation. Exactly, exactly. Because a lot of people are, a lot of faculty and staff are holding out until vacation time. Oh. Vacation time may not be, where do we, we're in March. Vacation time may not happen until June. Right. What little things are you going to do to sustain yourself between now and then? Yeah. And, th- and then you're exactly right. Not only do you like, don't just wait till tomorrow and think things will be fine in June. If you're living this kind of frenetic life, are you going to just automatically something you're going to turn off the switch? You're going to flip that switch when you're in the airplane in June? You know, probably <laughs> exactly more stressful to you because you're building that kind of those neural pathways that you're always used to that conflict habituated or stress <laughs> habituated oh, lifestyle. So mm-hmm. you're going to be one of those people who go, well, no, I have to check my emails because I'm going to come back. I'm going to have a thousand and it's going to be even more stressful. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you could just actually make sure all your emails go to trash. And, and have your, <laughs> I say, I'm on vacation. Your email's being sent to trash. If this is really important, email me again. Again. I, get, I promise you, I'm not going to see this. And then I love it. <laughs> I just talked to a faculty member yesterday, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have so many um, emails. We're talking about, yeah, I got to get through some emails. And I was, you know, my head, he's like, well, how many are you talking about? I'm like, I got a probably a good 20, 30 since in the past couple hours, I got to kind of hammer through them. He's like, mm-hmm. do you know how many emails I have in my inbox, Kim? I said, oh, please don't, please don't tell me, please don't tell me, please don't tell me. He's like about 4,000. And I said, well, now you're just being ridiculous. He's like, yeah, I got about 4,000. I said, what? First of all, on so many levels, I can't even process that number. I said, but that tells me one big thing. Has anything terrible happened as a consequence of you're not reading those emails. He said, no. I said, that just goes to show you a lot of these emails. I said, are people mad at you that you're not like doing stuff or getting them stuff? He's like, they just send me another email or they call me. I'm like, well, well there you go. In, in one sense, we would become like, we become a slave to this inbox thinking yeah. that yeah. the world's going to stop unless Strupsky yeah. gets to that inbox. And I'm not saying you just let's compete to see who can ignore the most emails. I'm just kind of suggesting that that was like, well, then 
there's some ridiculousness going on in your world. If you've got 4,000 emails, I don't know from how long they've, they've been sitting there, but that's, first of all, too many emails. And then yeah, yeah. And if you're not replying, <laughs> they, I guess you need to be on them. I guess it's not that important. Then don't even get rid of your email then, apparently. So I don't know. It's it um, does kind of process. Those practices are kind of always curious to me that we maybe we we have an overinflated sense of our self-importance of, you know, Hopkins is going to shut down if I don't check my email. Really? No. <laughs> so Bill, Bill, my, my, my whole point on this riff is that building good habits that will sustain us during tough times the best we can building in, as Erica's talking, little exhales, mindfulness moments to stop, to recharge. And um, it's going to do nothing but, you know, help us, you know, that don't get caught in that trap of, I don't have time to do that. We, we have to make time for the things that are important. To us. Yeah. Otherwise, then yeah. we, are a, we are a slave to mm-hmm. a clock. We're slave to other people. We're slave to the emails. Absolutely. That's tough. Well, Erica, this I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to share before I kind of peace out and give you the last word. But uh, Dr. Erica Brown at Dartmouth Dean of Faculty, what else say ye? <laughs> uh, I, I, the last thing I would say is, the pandemic with respect to faculty affairs, especially professional development has really opened doors for more collaborations. Mm. And um, when I say collaborations of, um, for me, definitely across other units at my institution, and we're seeing more collaborations across schools. So I, I, I say, you know, more and more power to those collaborations because it broadens the, the, the depth of professional development that's available. And I'm also an advocate for collaboration with integrity. Mm. What do you mean by collaboration with integrity? To ensure that whoever is, coll- the collaborators, everyone is acknowledged, even the staff in your office. Because staff can bring great perspectives as well. So just to make sure that everyone is heard and everyone is acknowledged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's another good point that since Zoom, collaborators are a mouse click away. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to necessarily wait till that in-person conference every year, fill in the blank month or hotel to then meet with that person. Now everybody's so accustomed to email, click, 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 click. And now you're sitting Zooming with someone who's around the world, efficiently building relationship and then the intent with integrity. I remember going to a grant writing seminar in Washington, D.C. decades ago, and the presenter said, I'd rather work with nice people than smart people. Because somebody said, well, how do I find collaborators? How do I build a team that's so hard? How do I find out I want to work with the best people, but I want to you know, make sure that I'm competitive with my grants? And she said, I don't care how smart you are. If you're not nice, I don't want to work with you. And everybody's like, what? And I'm thinking, no, it's kind of like, do you want a, a good surgeon or a or a a nice surgeon and like, well, can it be both? But, mm-hmm. but I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. Of course you want a good surgeon. And I guess I don't care if he's a, she's a jerk, but she's like, no, when grant writing and working grants is so challenging, it's so tough. It's so hard. And you're spending that much work and time with someone. You want them to be kind and nice and polite and you want it to be a good experience. So she's like, mm-hmm. I can hire, you know, smart people to do things, but you can't really hire nice. So that to me is what you, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of when you're saying with integrity. 
is. And I think that, yeah, and I think that's a great way to put it because we we really do have to rely on each other now. I mean, even more so than we did before. And so we're really cherishing those interactions more than we did before. I think we took them for granted, mm. that never realizing that there could be hindrances in how we interact with each other. Yes, yes. Total, tr- the transparency of being honest. What are your, you know, motivations? What do we need? Let's make sure we're serving each other's needs, serving each other helps ourselves. You can't lose when you're, when we're in service to each other and building each other up. And, and then that, those bonds, it just becomes our humanity is just the normal, well-adjusted person. When you are being helped and lifted up and supported, <laughs> it brings you so much joy to do the same. So knitting the community together of you know, collaborating with integrity, it's, Everybody wins in that. So another great one here. And so Kim, Dr. Skorupski, I thank you for your faculty factory podcast and collaborating with the community with integrity. Oh, Erica, you're so sweet. And I could not be doing it sitting here talking by myself. I could, it would make no sense, but it's because people like you, Erica, who share their wisdom, encouragement, inspiration with the whole worldwide community. So Dr. Erica Brown, you've been wonderful, charming, given us so many lovely words, so many smart ideas. I love it. I love so much of what you said. Um, it really important stuff. So congratulations to Dartmouth for getting you. And if you want to be in the Faculty Factory podcast, why don't you shoot me an email at facultyfactorykim. That's all one squishy word, facultyfactorykim at Gmail. Or if you know somebody else we should invite, to be on the podcast, please shoot them um, our direction. But Dr. Erica Brennan, congrats. And thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.